friends, welcome back to Lingering on the Lectionary, where we reflect on the life of the churches, the local academy, and the rhythm of the church's liturgy. Thanks for being here. Today I talk with Dr. Ashley Hales about her recent book on the spacious life and the limits that God has given us by his design for our good. We also discuss some of the ways that believers might find rest in a chaotic world. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Ashley. Thanks for being here. Today, we're going to discuss some of your ideas and insights in your recent book. But first, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your ministry and uh, writing emphasis? Sure. Yes. So I am Ashley Hales. I have a PhD in literature. My husband is a pastor of spiritual formation at a church in Lafayette, Colorado. We've just recently moved here in the last year. I'm a mom of four and find myself writing and speaking as well as as well as podcasting great um you did your uh doctoral work at the university of edinburgh in scotland uh what did you do your research on uh well it's english lit um and so i looked at some writings from immigrants in the 1700s from scotland to america and early american literature and yeah how how we kind of construct a national identity and how we you know try to make connections across distance was okay. the focus. Yeah, we, we're going to talk a little bit about your uh, most recent book, but what kind of difference did you find as you're doing the shift from, you know, academic writing to something on a, you know, a popular level or a more accessible level, different dialogue partners? Uh, what were some yeah. of the, how did you find that shift? Well, when I go back and read my PhD, I realize how horribly written I right. wrote it. <laughs> Like, it's just, it's so cumbersome. Um, and so, you know, writing for a popular audience allows me to to still read and research and think deeply, um, but to to speak more, more generally and casually as well. Um, so that's been, that's been fun yeah, to, to get away from the academic jargon for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you at some point, uh, maybe later in our uh, discussion of just the craft of writing, because I found mm-hmm. your uh, book here uh, very uh, easy to read on on one hand, but very clear. Um, so I know if you've ever done any type of, you know, if you've ever attempted to write for a popular audience or just to be clear, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy. So when you come across a, a something that reads well, but is also clearly doing something and then circling back around, it definitely takes a lot of lot of effort. A lot of craft goes into that. Yes. Okay. So last year, this book that we're uh, talking about, uh, your most recent book called "A Spacious Life: Trading Hustle and Hurry for the Goodness of Limits." came out. So maybe let's just start by asking, uh, what are you up to in this book? Uh, what are some of the major moves you make here or some of the the, the central issues you're trying to address? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to say that A Spacious Life really kind of was born out of anger. Um, mm. man, many books, I think, are. Uh, at least, you know, some strong emotion. And uh, it was both an, an anger, I think, at... at God in my earlier years of this difference between what Wendell Berry calls the given life and the planned life. And, you know, the sense in which I wanted the planned life and I had a given one and, and trying to live in, into my given life instead of fighting against God uh, for that planned one was, was part of the anger. But I think the other part of anger was just a frustration with 
much of kind of the Christian industrial complex that gives us resources that sell really well and are really popular, but aren't actually in line with the message of the gospel. And so Mm -hmm. I really, I really wanted folks to not be feeling shamed or guilted or pushed into the way that we live a Christian life is by trying harder uh, and Mm -hmm. instead to offer invitations into a, a humble, small, local life uh, that has limits um, and to see that God actually moves through us and through our limits. Uh, and we can use Jesus as an, as an example throughout all of scripture to see that how he lived his life, how he entered into the limits of being a person are actually things to be celebrated. Mm. As you're thinking about that concept of uh, limits being mm-hmm. uh, something not as a, a burden, but an invitation, uh, mm-hmm. one of, in one of your opening chapters, you say that uh, limits are built into the fabric of creation as part of mm-hmm. God's loving rule and care, and that uh, limits are not a result of sin or, you know, designed to hold us down, mm-hmm. but are part of God's plan, as you, you've kind of laid it out there. Yeah. Like, what What are some of the factors, do you think, uh, maybe in contemporary culture in America or just the ongoing busyness of life that that puts a strain on this perspective, like mm-hmm. elements maybe in our culture, but also, you know, in the elements of church life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's, when I was just really kind of letting all of these things sink in, just realizing the extent to which like Jupiter is not like, Oh, I'm just going to go over here and live my truth. Right. Like it has an orbit <laughs> and seasons mm-hmm. as well of, the created order, you know, where there are times where the land is not flourishing. And that doesn't mean that sin has happened. It's just, this is the natural cycle of, of production for, for our world and humans are no different. And so I think it's just really, it's transformative for us to realize the extent to which having limits of having times where we need to sleep and times when, you know, a particular season of life calls us to step back, that these are actually ways that we can honor God and love him and love other people. And so I think, you know, to answer your question about what, what pushes against it, at least particularly in America, the water that we swim in is this water of self-actualization, right? Mm -hmm. That, that the way that we are known and loved and worthwhile is by achieving. And what is so beautiful about the gospel is that it actually says, no, your identity is deeply received, not achieved. And as we kind of sink into our limits and actually experience them and move through them with God, I think that can begin to counteract so much of church culture and Western culture more generally that says you have to keep doing in order to be loved, seen, or known. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of our cultural structures, you you mentioned a few of these in the book that I thought was helpful that are configured towards performing or Mm -hmm. um, uh, either performing or pursuing a version Mm -hmm. of yourself. Uh, One of my favorite parts of your book, one of the chapters we talked about, Jesus is not on Instagram. Um, These uh, you say something about the habits of hurry. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, using these good devices and good um, right. platforms, but using them n- to blunt the overwhelm or yeah. blunt the edge of the overwhelm. I really like that phrase because yeah. it was uh, coming up against the uh, overwhelming, uh, being overwhelmed 
and then going to maybe social media or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just a busy schedule to kind of uh, numb, numb the pain or numb right. the yeah yeah numb you know numbness. I I think there's just so much what's just fascinating when you think about our media consumption, whether it's social media or other forms of media, is that it kind of gives us this lie that we can be like God, right? Back to that mm -hmm. first lie of the garden, right? That we can be omniscient and omnipresent. Like we can be in Twitter and reading this article and then, and like talking with people that are all over the world and, you know, we can, can consume information and all of that has been a gift. And yet it really doesn't take our creatureliness, you know, into consideration. And often what we're trying to do, I think is, is to be like God. We're trying to, to, get outside of ourselves and our bodies and our space and our time, our neighborhoods, our conflicts. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. Right. And, and yet we use these same things, these same tools, even to blunt the overwhelm. Yeah. The, that point that you make about just the temptation to try to transcend at every point, our yeah. lo our locatedness of the yeah I like the phrase you use the digital everywhere everywhereism um, yeah whereas you know in some sense the wonder of social media or you know the internet is it allows us yeah. windows into everywhere but mm -hmm. that can blind our eyes to the the location that we're actually in right right yeah yeah and there's so much good that comes you know we're having a podcast across space and time right now you right. know that yeah. the, that's good um and yet. You know, I think we just need to become aware of the ways in which we can use really good tools and in ways to actually um, try to bypass our limits or get around them instead mm -hmm. of instead of leaning in. Yeah. And I thought the, um, what you said uh, a few minutes ago of kind of like your motivation for even writing the book of both you know, the anger or just frustration at those limits mm -hmm. once you recognize them. Uh, and for me too, I think oftentimes it's a not always anger, but indifference uh, where yeah. I, yeah. I, I recognize the limits and then resign myself, um, mm. you know, not trying to transcend them, but just giving, giving into, you know, a, a sense of uh, more despair at the limits. Mm. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of accepting the narrative that I'm always supposed to be transcending those, um, which is something that needs the word that you're giving in this uh, book as well is that once you recognize those limits uh, you can either war against them or mm -hmm. um, you have to you have to do some theological reflective work mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. translate them into something else mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, just kind of piggybacking on that one of the engaging features i thought of your book was the way that you wove parts of your your own story into your discussion of the goodness of limits. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned several times, uh, and this is kind of what we're talking about now, is that this perspective, you first have to understand it in theory, like you have to kind of think through it, uh, mm -hmm. but then, then you have to work to enact it in practice, like to yeah. be or not to be uh, the one who recognizes these things, to first realize that your limits are an invitation, you know, a step one, Mm -hmm. uh, versus a burden, but then also having to accept this rather than to fight it. Um, mm -hmm. So in, in your experience, uh, were there any, uh, just kind of as you've, you know, putting some of this reflection in, in this book, mm -hmm. like any standout like situations that really drove this point home for you? Or, you know, was it more of a gradual recognition uh, that you kind of are, are synth synthesizing uh, here? 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, moments in in my life or in my family's life where you know you're forced into you know a period of loss or grief, um, and you can't really do anything with that. Like you just have to sit in it. <laughs> um, have been really kind of transformative first steps towards rec- towards recognizing that limits are our invitations to knowing God, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in those moments of grief or loss, you know, we can't fix anything. Right. Um, and there's of course been moments, right. Where I've fought against that or blamed other people or, you know, all the things, the same things we do with our limits where we tend to blame other people or circumstances. We tend to, um, ignore our limits. We tend to push them down or try to control them or fight them or we kind of fall into shame um, concerning them, like we must not be worthy or good or okay. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, loss is a teacher. Um, and then, you know, we had a period, and I, I reference it a little bit in the book throughout, but we had a period in 2020 where my husband stepped down from his pastoral ministry role, and we knew we were being called away um, from that. And yet most of our other kind of moves and ministry um, chapters have been, it felt really clear that we had a call towards something, you know? And Mm -hmm. so in this instance, we were, we just had to call away. Um, and you know, as we have kind of walked through those last two years now, nearly from that time, you know, all we could really do was wait on God because we didn't, it wasn't clear where we were going. And, and so instead of trying to go out and grab, and make something happen. Like we had no ability to do that even. So that was just Mm -hmm. taken away. That was taken off the table. And instead, um, we simply just waited. And so now I think we're in a different season. Um, we're in a different place. We're at a different job. Uh, but all of that still, I'm reminded even in small ways that the invitation is to wait on God and to see what he's already up to and on about. And it's not my responsibility to like run out and make it all happen. So that feels mm-hmm. like a new, a new process that yeah. feels really awkward, you know, honestly, a lot of the times, um, but you just stay present. And I guess mm-hmm. sometimes the, this new perspective comes as you're pursuing and learning and growing. Uh, but also when, you know, these times of transition are often not welcomed, right? They're, <laughs> right, they're not expected. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, but having that uh, perspective, uh, some of those tools of having already thought through, okay, mm-hmm. my limits are uh, an invitation to to wait, to rest, mm-hmm. to reflect. The limits themselves uh, change from not a day to day, but like fa- life phase to life phase. Those limits, mm-hmm. some of yeah, those are yeah. stay the same, uh, but different seasons of your life or different. Um, you know, opportunities you have that are given or taken away, what it what it is that's a limit that you're having to see as an invitation or a war against, those mm-hmm. things will change as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's exactly right. You know, and if we don't learn how to do some of that now, well, like if God gives us many years, that like that even just the aging process, right, is is going to come up and be really scary, you know, instead of, you know, here's another chance to lean in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the one of your chapters, you talk about uh, the concept of rest, 
Um, and I thought that that was a helpful connecting point to a pretty robust theological topic that sh that is uh, shows up in lots of biblical narratives and at important points of redemptive history. Mm -hmm. uh, but this uh, drawing upon, you know, a theology of rest, I like the point that you're making about that rest is not just like hitting the pause or the you know staying static, but an active, mm -hmm. uh, an active process of of reflection. Uh, you're remembering something. Um, at mm -hmm. some point, you said something like restoration is like restoring our lives, um, remembering um, the the grand storyline of the of the scriptures and what God is doing in the world. Uh, in allowing that story to uh, help us interpret uh, mm -hmm. what's going on in our lives and our limits. What are some of the things that you mean by, uh, you know, thinking about restoration or rest as, you know, restoring and um, how would you kind of uh, draw out that invitation, the way that our limits uh, invite mm -hmm. us to rest? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think we have a choice, right, to to treat our bodies and ourselves um, as our iPhones, right? Where we, we kind of plug them in so that we can, they'll work better the next day, <laughs> or at least competently. And, you know, I think we can often think of ourselves like that too. Like we just need to sleep or rest or maybe even have a Sabbath because it will make us be much more productive. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's beautiful to remember that, you know, that in the Hebrew scriptures, right, that the day is actually houred in the middle of the night, right? That the day starts in the night and that, and that we begin with rest, um, and that our, our weeks begin in rest. And so we, we don't er work in order to earn rest. We actually work from rest. Um, and that just really changes us everything. And, you know, like you were saying, I really appreciated earlier how you're saying, you know, we can realize that, oh, that's an interesting tidbit of knowledge, but like, mm -hmm. how do we get that into our bones, into our practice, you know, into how we respond to people that we're not always hectic and frenzied and frantic. Um, it's probably, you know, like many things, just the, the weekly and monthly rhythms and liturgies, you know, of our lives and of our, of our Sabbath keeping that finally soak in, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. enough, um, that we begin to, to experience a restorative rest. Uh, you know, so I think firstly, maybe we, we have to actually practically start with it. Um, so whether that's in your day where you start with silence and stillness and scripture, uh, like I'm going to start with that instead of my email <laughs> or, you know, right. that, that you actually say, I'm going to actually practice Sabbath and I'm going to practice delighting in God and worshiping him, um, and taking a nap and, you know, making a good meal, uh, you know, so that these are the things that practically I'm going to see how this affects me, you know, is to mm -hmm. actually start with rest. Um, I always encourage folks to just as a practical thing to, to, to make a delight list. And often you can go back to mm. your kind of childhood, maybe kind of eight to 12 before you were self-conscious and, you know, hormonal, <laughs> but, you know, like that, you know, the things that, that delighted you, that God, that you kind of unselfconsciously did that brought delight. Um, and to maybe go back to some of those sorts of practices as an adult to reclaim some of that delight mm -hmm. and that rest. So anyway, those are a few just kind of practical ways to, to move it from an acknowledgement to becoming, this is how I'm going to do life because this is how God says life works best. And really mm -hmm. that's what our limits 
Asher yeah. SN2. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, it reminds me of we um, we moved to a new place and there was um, there was we didn't have a fence in the backyard for a while. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, coming to a new a new location as well, you just, the kids uh, have four kids and they mm -hmm. immediately ran out. And, <laughs> but it was uh, a little bit interesting to see, you know, in the backyard of you know, constantly, oh, that's not our, our yard, or right. you, you can't go over there, or you, we can't go into the street, or down the gutter, or something like yep. that. Uh, but then, once we got a fence, uh, we fenced in the backyard, it created a little bit more freedom for the kids, yeah. as because they could, you exactly. know, run around the boundaries, and mm -hmm. um, we just got out of the um, kind of always winter, never Christmas phase uh, here. <laughs> And yeah. the sun has been out a few t few days, uh, and so it's interesting uh, just seeing, you know, looking at my s son yesterday, who just naturally is just going outside and just pacing back and forth yeah. uh, in the backyard with a stick and just, <laughs> you know, do, doing all kinds of things. But um, it, it just reminded me of, because uh, I was thinking about uh, this conversation as well, mm -hmm. just the mm -hmm. the limits yeah. Um, you could war against those and constantly be, you know, as you know, as a, you know, my son might be, I want to go on the other side or something like that. But right. in those limits, there's mm -hmm. lots of space once you accept that. To, yeah. Yeah. To make believe, to play, to yes. uh, do all of this. And there's security there and safety. Um, yes. A lot yes. of places to roam. Um, yes. Yeah, it's a perfect illustration of, you know, Yes, it confines your freedom, but it actually makes more room for, for freedom instead of, mm -hmm. yeah, banging on that fence. As you are thinking through uh, your, uh, throughout your book, uh, you're drawing on various uh, resources, uh, writers from church history, like uh, some of my favorites, like Athanasius and Augustine, to anything like the Book of Common Prayer or more recent writers like C.S. Lewis or Wendell Berry. Um, so who, who are some of the, your favorite theologians or writers in general, but also those specifically that ha have kind of helped you think through, uh, the goodness of limits or, um, just your, uh, this particular area that you've, uh, thought and reflected in. Mm -hmm. You know, I think just specifically, I really appreciate a lot of the work, um, James, Jamie Smith, James K. Smith has done in his book on Augustine. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks, you know, particularly about, you know, this idea that if you've trying to be chasing this sort of freedom, like we see Augustine doing in his early life, and it's actually left you on the side of the road in the ditch, like we're going to actually have to realize that it's not just freedom from constraints, but freedom for. Mm -hmm. Um, and I loved that language. I thought it was so helpful as we, as we think about limits. Um, but I, you know, I really did love returning to Athanasius's, uh, on the incarnation. It's so readable for being so old, mm -hmm. um, and just, just ruminating on what does it, what does it actually mean that God became flesh and, and how can we kind of get our imaginations, um, into, that reality as much as it's completely incomprehensible. Um, so those were some of the kind of formative uh, texts that I, that I kind of dwelt with. 
Um, but I really do enjoy Dallas Willard a lot. Um, I love how he talks about how grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. And that's something that he has in a lot of his work. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of end notes (laughs) Mm -hmm. in a spacious life. Um, and I'm, I love bringing together thoughtful, uh, voices of kind of contemporary writers as well as yeah, folks that have been around for centuries that we should really return to. Yeah, that's good. Uh, one of my, uh, you mentioned Athanasius is on the incarnation. One of the things that I've learned a lot from that book is the way he talks about the incarnation, not only as the Christmas story, uh, mm-hmm. just Jesus's birth, but thinking about the incarnation as the life, the, mm-hmm. the birth, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus yeah. as a whole. And mm-hmm. a few times you uh, you work through the idea of just Jesus's model, um, not only in his uh, life of ministry, but just even thinking about the life of obscurity that he leads uh, yeah. for most of his life. Uh, mm-hmm. And then even just as you're working through the Gospels, looking at uh, Jesus's own rhythms as he's mm-hmm. uh, waking up, as he's going uh, into the garden, as he's finding times for prayer, as he's engaging with others, um, just thinking about what it means uh, to be a disciple on the way. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's just, it's fascinating to see like, okay, well, what, yeah, what rhythms and stories as much as we can discern were part of how he lived in those obscure years so that when, you know, his ministry started, those sorts of things came, you know, the, the attentiveness, the rest, the, you know, saying hard things when it was required, the Mm. healing, touching, the unhurried nature of his, his ministry, how those things came out naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you were writing, um, and just kind of working through, uh, your, your book, each chapter is kind of a different thought or a different angle Mm -hmm. on the, the central idea that our limits are given and also good. Um, mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed as I was working through hearing the same uh, central idea and kind of like a, from a different angle or a different mm-hmm. idiom. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were working through that, um, were there any favorite insights or surprising discoveries that you made as you were writing the book and coming kind of coming up with those different angles? Um, mm-hmm. or just, you know, just random insights that yeah. came from the writing process or just thinking about this area. You know, what was really interesting is the book really changed, um, a fair bit. I think, you know, when I first turned it in, my editors told me that I was really trying to get it right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm writing about Jesus. I don't want to get it wrong. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, but that it felt so much like I was trying to get it right. And so really, as I like took a second pass at the book, um, I, I really thought about particularly because it, it was coming out during the global pandemic that we mm-hmm. didn't really need like we didn't need another argument to kind of say, yes, your limits are good. And here's why, you know, we really did need gentle invitations. Um, and so that really changed a little bit more of the tone um, throughout the book. But, you know, as far as insights go, I think it was just really good for me to dwell on a lot of stories of scripture and to see Jesus. Uh, I really loved, I think, the the chapter on um, 
the the church as the goodness of gathered salt. I think that one was a really fun chapter to write. Um, and also hard because we've all been in churches and leading churches and we've been wounded and have wounded um, in community. So that one I feel like was a good, a good process for me. And then, um, and as well as the, the chapter of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and the ways in which suffering and submission and loss and grace kind of all hold hands uh, mm-hmm. was a really good meditation uh, for me that also, you know, I've, I've had a few folks reach out to me who are in um, pain or suffering or, you know, have terminal illnesses that, 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 um, resonated with them. And that feels mm-hmm. like a gift, gift to receive back. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. I, you mentioned the, uh, community, the uh, chapter on community. Um, I really appreciated the insight about, uh, or what you're saying about acknowledging your own limits, uh, invites others to bear your mm-hmm. burdens with you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, it was just a, a different, uh, a helpful way to get into that idea that if I hadn't, if, if I don't uh, think carefully about my own limits and where that stops, I'm, yeah. I'm going to miss out on allowing others to come alongside me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, in a community, um, I'm going to miss it. If I'm not part of that type of community, I'm going to miss the opportunity to, um, to, to, uh, that's my son. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> no worries. I get it. I I have forgotten where we were at. All right. Yeah. Thinking about the thinking about community. Uh, if I don't, uh, if I'm not part of that type of community, uh, then I'm going to miss out on someone coming al- coming alongside me and bearing my burdens. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm going to miss out on. Um, recognizing someone else's limits and coming yeah. alongside them uh, and helping bear their burdens. Um, right. We can all be like overactive, overachieving, you know, mm-hmm. like machines, or we can actually, you know, be invited to be human um, right. and, and to care for each other. Yeah. The reason I picked up your book, um, or I guess I had seen it and thought it would be helpful. And so I uh, had bought it and threw it in my bag uh, I was going in the middle of a, a busy semester uh, on the plane to a uh, academic conference. Uh, yeah. And so I just picked it up and started reading it on the plane. And I just thought it was it was a very timely, uh, timely word reading, reading through mm-hmm. it because I uh, reading it helped me realize how stressed I was, uh, how uh, how busy I was. And there yeah. were some you know issues or burdens that I was carrying that I was allowing the busyness of the schedule and getting ready for a conference and preparing, you know, a journal article right. or something like yeah. that. And it was, you know, thinking about <laughs> reading a book about limits stuck on an airplane with as a classic introvert, um, you know, getting through the travel process um, and then reading the book and just seeing, um, you know, get a, just a fresh way of thinking about some of those categories 
um, mm-hmm. you know, a, a an opportunity to see the types of burdens that I was bearing and not mm-hmm. processing. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, just so, so some of the, I would get to the next chapter and it was like, oh, right, there's there's another angle on the, the way that I'm not, or, that I'm subconsciously warring against uh, yeah. these limits uh, and not see, not seeing them as an invitation at all. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when we do, and thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that, that feedback, but, um, and I love that you, yeah, you were very limited. You had to like sit in your seat <laughs> and feel yeah. your limits um, in the, you know, going 35,000 miles an hour. Um, but, you know, I think, I think there's a sense in which if we are able to reframe our limits instead of as something that are somehow barring us from success and to see them as invitations as we follow the life of Jesus, we'll actually begin to experience that contentedness that we're craving Mm -hmm. and the rest that we're craving that we think we can get there through hustle. Um, And so it really like takes the pressure off. But it also is really scary because if everyone else is moving at this quick pace to try to achieve and we say, that's not actually real life, mm-hmm. you know, there's a sense in which like some things may pass me by and that's okay. Seeing some of those limits as um, external things, uh, you know, like our situation in life or the, you know, the job that we have or the pursuit that we're engaging in. Uh, but also some of the um, personal limitations of you know mm-hmm. of myself or, or my ability to uh, write or teach or or do it in a certain mm-hmm. way and constantly comparing myself with others and mm-hmm. seeing how I'm not measuring up in certain ways, yeah, um, can be a uh, an unacknowledged invisible uh, weight. Um, and as yeah. you said, accepting those limits is uh, scary but also uh, refreshing um yeah and it's you know something that has to be you know kind of woven into the rhythm of our day because even just the example i gave earlier kind of on you know on a plane ride thinking through oh this is this is a really important area of my life that i need to to give thought to mm-hmm but then, you know, now we're deplaning and now, now I have <laughs> right, to yeah, just, yeah. Get, get things going again do them, and then yeah, do the next um, thing. But then a couple of days later, picking, picking it back up and realizing, okay, uh, some of these things I can see, um, some of these things are invisible to me. Um, so mm-hmm. resources like this are helpful. Thinking about the value of this framework uh, because on the one hand, the gospel enables me to engage in this practice of seeing my limits as an invitation, but also the gospel is there uh, whenever I fail at doing yeah, that. Exactly. Right? Yes, um, yes. It's not like this isn't the next thing that, yeah, that we need to master or something like, oh, I finally figured out how to accept my limits. And so yeah. therefore I am a better Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah th- that's one of my limits is that I've, uh, you know, I'm slow to see and uh, see my invitation, uh, my limits as those invitations. One of my uh, favorite insights, too, was this. You say that uh, paying attention as an act Mm -hmm. of love. uh, You talk about this, Mm -hmm. I think, in Chapter 7. How would you kind of unpack that idea of giving attention as uh, as an act of love? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just so struck when we see Jesus throughout the Gospels. 
he pays attention to people how they need to each be paid attention to, you know, like um, some people he speaks very strongly to and has really strong words, right? The, the folks that don't, the religious folks that don't think they need God and they're, you know, trying to, to keep him at bay with maybe like 127 rules. Uh, so they make sure they're not actually transgressing the law, you know, he's calls them whitewashed tombs. Like he needs to shock them out of their piety. Um, mm. And, you know, and then other people who come desperate and he, you know, he asks questions, what do you want me to do for you? Um, who touched me? And all of these kind of questions are ways for them to regain their voice, you know, to, to be heard and seen. And because of, their leprosy or their blood disease or so many different things, right. That, that meant that they were not a part of the, the community. And so Jesus pays attention and he, he responds in ways that either shock or are, or heal us kind of depending on the ways in which each of these people and us too today, you know, come to him and actually acknowledge our need. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just a great reminder that sometimes love doesn't, you know, love doesn't look like coddling of, of always saying the nice, gentle thing. <laughs> you know, sometimes mm -hmm. love, love has to say the hard thing, or sometimes we don't understand, you know, what love is doing yet. Right. When Jesus stops and, um, Jairus's daughter, for instance, dies, right? Like, what are you doing? You should have been, you should have been quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, we love isn't in a hurry. And Jesus shows us that he can work through death even, right? To to redeem and restore and to resurrect. Yeah, that's good. And I thought uh, too, just kind of resonating with some of uh, your other chapters or angles, that to pay attention requires a different pace of life and a different pace yeah. of reflection of, yeah. you have to slow down uh, to pay attention. Yes. Yeah. Right. You can't just be like, well, here's all I'm concerned about today is my to-do list and you know this woman touching me was not on my to-do list so right <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah um so as you're thinking like just as a kind of an, an initial uh, at the beginning of a process or you know kind of a an enduring encouragement uh what might you say to someone who is uh, recognizing the value of this perspective mm -hmm. uh, but is still kind of struggling uh, to find rest and accept the goodness of of our limits like maybe either, you know, in a ministry setting or an academic setting, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as a as a professional or a professor, mm -hmm. but even as just a person or, or, or within the context of a family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think everything around us is pushing us to do more, you know, in less hours, <laughs> you know, whether it's, um, you know, you're trying to get tenure as a professor. And so you need all these certain publications to your name or ministry. There's always 800 more people who you should be meeting with or um, 500 more books that you should be reading. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's always more. And so, um, you know, Henry James, who's a, he's an American author, but um, he lived most of his life in Britain. And he, he but he talks about you know, that, that relations actually stop nowhere, right? That everything is always related to one another. And he says, you know, that what, what is so, what we need to do, what the artist does particularly is to somehow draw a line around these things uh, to, 
to seem as if, you know, that this is the, the circle in which they all relate. And so I think the life of faith has got to be similar that we, we have to draw a boundary line mm-hmm. around, you know, these different aspects of our vocation and our family life and our personhood and say, you know, this is where we need to go. Like your fences you were talking about earlier with your son, like this is all, this is what I can do. And I have to trust that God doesn't need me to make his kingdom come. Um, and he invites me into the work that he's already doing and he will use other people um, and places and times and, and resources to make his will happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not the yeah. only one. And so, I mean, part of it has got to be that kind of daily acknowledgement. Um, and then maybe, you know, even sitting down with a coworker, a spouse or a friend or family member and, you know, to be able to say, what does this season look like or this next chapter look like? What, where do we feel like our, our boundary lines have been laid in pleasant places? Mm-hmm. Um, what is what are the rhythms that we need to focus on as a family or individually so that we can be our, you know, as best we can, you know, our most healthy selves and, you know, starting with those kind of personal, personal or familial rhythms, um, because it's from those sorts of everyday kind of rhythms and liturgies that we're able to actually do good work in the world instead of, you know, giving, giving ourselves and God and our families uh, the leftovers. So I would say, mm. you know, being thoughtful and intentional in those sorts of conversations, like, for instance, we, we're in a kind of a full season right now. I'm speaking a lot and traveling a lot. My kids all have spring activities, which we don't always do, you know, but, but to Mm -hmm. say, okay, that means, you know, some of our hospitality is going to have to be limited, um, for the next two months, but you know, after that, or, or what can we do, you know, even to put boundary lines around our Sabbath practices so that our, our Sundays are actually restorative because we know the Mm -hmm. rest of the week is going to be full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. I think the um, that practice, uh, it's a good word to hear. A There's some general principles, uh, you know, some gospel truth that is universally applicable uh, in this process, in this pursuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also related to, you know, the particularity of you as a person, uh, your, your family, uh, whatever yeah. situation you're in what those limits are, but also what those those rhythms that are going to allow you to stay connected to uh, the gospel, to stay connected to uh, the scriptures. When I was younger, at a different phase of my life, mm-hmm. um, this was uh, when I was uh, single and also before we had children, when uh, corporate worship, there were th- we had uh, in the church that I was in, we had times of confession and mm-hmm. then also some uh, silence in the service for that pro- that process, and then we did a you know a hymn of of repentance. It was one mm-hmm. of my favorite times. Like if I were to say corporate mm-hmm. worship, that was one of my uh, favorite uh, moments. And then my firstborn came along, mm-hmm. and then with children, <laughs> quiet <laughs> yeah. quiet extended time in corporate settings became something that I would dread with young. It's a little bit different now that the kids are a little bit older, but that, that particular time in the service is something that I didn't long for. Relish because you, you you had to manage their noise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've dread because we had about six seconds for when uh, our, you know, one of our children 
started stirring and screaming out of the top of her lungs. So, you know, us- kind of ushering her out and getting to the back of the service, you know, swinging the uh, the car seat. Um, and it just made me think of my experience of those liturgies and those rhythms was very mm-hmm. different from mm-hmm. one season of life to the next. And of course, now it's kind of settled into, uh, you know, a different set. Mm-hmm. But to have that, you know, that encouragement to continue uh, thinking through and reflecting on those things as those seasons, as those yeah. seasons change is, mm-hmm. is, a, is a really strong encouragement. Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've been there Four kids here too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, just as kind of maybe perhaps some closing thoughts here. Um, you know, I think part of what the a spacious life um, your book has done, we talked about some of the, you know, kind of the central insight and, those different angles I think it's a helpful reflection to read through uh, but even just as you know next steps for someone it's also Mm -hmm. also a helpful model as you're thinking what are the different angles uh, of my life or you know my situation you know in each chapter is kind of like Mm -hmm. how does how does this apply in social media how does this apply Mm -hmm. the way that I treat my work how does this apply in the way that I uh, treat my life goals. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate the resource that you've given me and uh, those who have uh, are, are reading this, not only as a, a good example of some of these reflections, some of these insights, but also, you know, a working model uh, that's, mm. that's not only prescription uh, and diagnosis, but also in, like, an invitation um, to mm. uh, enact some of these things. Well, thank you. Um, one of my friends just recently said, she's like, I love that you have prayers at the end of every chapter because it actually like slows you down. So you're even Mm -hmm. in the process of reading, right? You're not just like, okay, next chapter. What else can I learn? Right. Yeah. And that taking the time to read those uh, prayers uh, and then, you know, articulate those prayers uh, yourself, Mm -hmm. it it gives you kind of a a roadmap to not as another law to be overwhelmed with. It's like, oh, look at all of these angles that I have to work (laughs) through and I have to get all these things. But as you said, it's an open invitation to there's so many areas of our lives that are complex, but all of those are places where God is calling us to Mm -hmm. uh, be faithful and to see the goodness of the limits that he's given us. Um, So Mm -hmm. at any rate, I appreciate you um, taking the time uh, today and for, you know, for writing this book. For sure. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me.